0: Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Shirley You Can't Be Serious podcast. We are back again. Jason's here. I'm here. Our friend John Reed is here, and we are talking about an innocent man, track by track. No fluff, no silliness. One story. I got one story that I want to hear. John,
1: tell me how you met your wife. (laughs) So obviously, this is one that's been told a few times on our podcast, but so I I credit Billy Joel with the fact that I met and ultimately married the person that I married to. So we were in we were in high school together and we were in the same geography class and I think we also had study hall and lunch together and all that and uh, we sat next to each other. So, you know, we would talk from time to time. We, you know, when the teacher said trade your paper with somebody else so they can grade yours and you grade theirs. So I knew she was smart because she always scored higher on the quizzes than I did. But there was another kid in class and I that we were arguing at one point about who was the bigger Billy Joel fan. And I was trying to list off all the songs that I knew and and he was listing off the songs that he knew. And I just kind of like flippantly said, fine, if you're such a big fan, what's the 43rd word of we didn't start the fire? And he's like, well, that's stupid. Like nobody knows, you can't like count the words. And I'm like, well, fine. Then I guess I'm just the bigger fan. Well, then what is it? Well, I'm not going to tell you. So we did that whole thing. Well, so the next day, come back to class and this girl that's been sitting next to me that I've talked to occasionally and and you know we've you know we're, we're right next to each other she comes back and she, and she like i don't remember I, th- I think she she leans over and she just goes it's i think it was like of or the or something like that and she, and she just kind of says it real quietly and i'm like so hi there are you doing anything for the rest of your life would you like uh-huh. to uh, you know I- would you like to go out sometime? Can I buy you something in the cafeteria? And and that kind of started the whole thing. So we we were actually talking tonight before I was going to come on to do our recording with you guys. We we had been watching an interview with Billy Joel, and we said, you know what? Whenever he's not around anymore, like that's going to be tough because for me, David Bowie was real big growing up for my family. So when he passed away that was kind of a big deal like that was a hard hit when robin williams passed away i always loved robin williams he was one of my favorites that was a hard hit but my wife and i both said cuz we in the interview billy joel's looking looking a little older now we said gosh when when he goes like that's going to be painful not that he's been releasing new music in the last 30 years but when he goes it's it's going to be it's going to be a hit for us and and that was some of the music that we uh, played at our our reception at our wedding was billy joel and you're my home has always been a song that we've kind of had as one of, uh, quote-unquote, our songs. I blame and and credit Billy for uh, the fact that I'm married to who I'm married to.
2: to
0: I'm just imagining young John in class, and the, the future Mrs. John Reed whispers in his ear and he channels his inner Lando Calrissius. <laughs> oh, what do we have here?
1: <laughs> you truly belong here with us among the. Nylon.
2: <laughs> hey, at least you told her about it, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, was she an uptown girl? Um, I mean, a girl like that wouldn't tell you what you should do.
2: <laughs> All right. So. Back to my story, the 1982 trip. Oh, yeah. That Paul Simon literally drug him on, right? Yeah. Billy Joel's like, listen, man, I don't want to go to some resort in the middle of a poor country where you're a rich person surrounded by a bunch of pissed off poor people. And Paul Simon's like, no, this is a French colony. It's not like that at all. It's going to be awesome. Come with me. So Billy Joel reluctantly goes with Paul Simon to St. Bart's. Well, after he gets there and a day at the pool and he gets beat red sunburned, he wanders inside, he's tired, he's sunburned, and sure enough, there's a piano in the bar at the resort. He wanders over, starts to kind of tickle the keys, and the next thing you know, there's a crowd of people around him, and he looks on his left. Oh my gosh, that's Christy Brinkley. And he looks to his right. Holy cow, that's Elle McPherson. He says... He turned to the piano and gave a silent thank you to the pianos. Thank you, piano. You have been there for me my entire life.
1: You need to channel or uh, maybe you need to pull a a drop, the audio drop from the movie Amadeus, when he's trying on the different wigs in the movie Amadeus. And he stops and he goes, they're all so beautiful. Why don't I have three heads?
2: (laughs) So listen to this. So the rest of the story, as he's schmoozing supermodel Christy Brinkley, maybe. Maybe the most beautiful woman in America at that time.
0: I mean, 1983. She was National Lampoon's Vacation hottie, Boombaladi. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: and supermodel Elle McPherson. Maybe the other hottest girl in America. Mm-hmm. They're there for Sports Illustrated to shoot the swimsuit issue. And so he's schmoozing. He's talking them up. Hey, ladies, how's it going? Good to see you. And he's newly divorced. He feels like a teenager. He's a rock star. He's got beautiful women interested in him. He can't wait to have meaningful conversations with these ladies. Deep. Deep and meaningful. Deep and
0: meaningful conversations.
2: And then he's got this teenager who comes up and it starts to bug him. And he said he looked at her. She's clearly a model. She's cute as a button, and she's like, "Hey, I sing. Would it be okay if I sang for you?" And he's like, he gives her the old, "Go away, kid. You bother me. <laughs> Get lost, kid." Yeah, I'm sure you got a great singing voice, but can you see who I'm talking to? All right. And she persists, so he's like, "Hey, Christy. Hey, L. Why don't you join me in the singing of this whatever song?" And that little model is like, hey, "I sing. I sing." And he finally has to be like, "Beat it, kid." That
0: kid? Yeah. Whitney Houston. What the heck? Whitney Houston. Whitney Houston. Goodness oh. gracious. What the heck? He says he kicks himself because he could have been the guy who discovered Whitney Houston.
2: Oh,
1: wow. I, you know what, though? I, I don't think he probably was kicking himself too hard.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I had three heads, maybe.
2: <laughs> All right. So let's talk overall about an innocent man. This album is released August 3rd, 1983. Billy Joel said he wrote this in about eight weeks. He said he was newly divorced, feeling like a teenager, and the songs just poured out.
0: Well, and the feeling like a teenager took him back to the time when he was a teenager, which is why all of these songs borrow so heavily from the 50s and 60s. We are are talking about Lionel Richie moving away from the Motown sound, and we are talking about Billy Joel moving into the motown sound moving up or moving out i don't know what it is but there you go
2: you know for a super fan like john he probably knew this but before we dove into this yeah i didn't even realize this is a concept album oh yeah each song is an homage to an artist from the 50s and 60s
1: yeah it is so much fun and it's so much fun to go if you haven't done this you got to do this i actually made leading up to when we were going to be talking about this i made a playlist that had innocent man and then after each song uh, in Innocent Man, I dropped in at least one, uh, two maybe songs by who I thought or who I'd been able to find that he said he had been influenced by. And it was so much fun to just go song by song and be like, let's listen to Easy Money. Okay, now let's pull up a James Brown or Wilson Pickett or, you know, let's pull up this song. And now I'm gonna pull up the one that he says inspired him. Like, yeah, you can absolutely hear the faintest hint of the little like dinging bell sound at the beginning of that song in both songs. And it's, it's so much fun to do it that way. And, and it's it's I think it was so much fun for him to be able to go back to his childhood and and relive all this stuff and try to channel all these different musicians because he said in interviews that he, he hates his own voice. He's like, I, I hate my own voice. I always wanted to sing like somebody else. And he's like, this album was kind of my chance to really try it out and sing like somebody else. And in each of these songs, when he's channeling James Brown, He's singing like James Brown. He, ha! He's got the ha in the song and the, um, yeah. you know, good guy get down. So yeah, th- I think this this must have been such a fun fun album for him.
2: Modern artists, if you're listening to this podcast, please do an homage to the '80s and '90s. We'll buy the album. Absolutely, it'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. Before we dive in track by uh. track, this album was nominated for Album of the Year and Best Pop Vocal, and it lost both to
0: Can't Slow Down.
2: Nope. What Thriller of
0: course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when those are your two options, I just got to respond with, they're both so beautiful. I wish I had two heads.
2: (laughs) All right. First song on the album is a song called easy money.
0: What James Brown? Who? I don't hear any James Brown And this. What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. Listen, guys, for this song, for me, this was a new-to-me song. I was not familiar with Easy Money. All of the Billy Joel songs that are in my history, and somehow this one escaped me. But I put this in as I picked up Caleb from uh, soccer practice, and we were both just grooving. I mean, we're just shaking our shoulders back and forth and bobbing our head and biting our lip and looking at each other like yeah let's go this is awesome so this was a great find for me well this
2: is the song that got the whole album started right so he wrote it for the Roddy dangerfield joe pesci movie joe freaking pesci easy money Yep, and uh, Robbie Dangerfield is going to make an appearance here later on in just just a few songs. But yep. this was a movie that I knew was just a little bit inappropriate for me at age 10 but that doesn't mean I didn't try to watch it
1: it's a great kickoff to the album I wouldn't say it's my favorite song on the album but it's such a fun way to kick it off and and get that 50s and 60s style sound and if you don't hear the James Brown in it then you gotta go listen to some more James Brown (laughs) because it's just it's such a fun just high energy song to kick the whole thing off with
2: somebody asked him if he ever was a big gambler like Rodney Dangerfield's character in the movie and he said you know what one time when I was in high school. I bet my life savings on a sure thing horse. He said my life savings was about 60 bucks. The horse lost. He said it cured him for the rest of his life. Never gambled again.
1: I think he said in an interview, uh, I want to say it was on Howard Stern's show, he said that this one was kind of uh, inspired by his experiences working in piano bars. And he said that he a lot of times he'd see wealthy people come in, flashing their money around, and you know, he just was kind of frustrated with the arrogance and the entitlement of these wealthy people that would come in and just throw cash around all the time. And so this was kind of his response to that.
2: All right, moving on to the second track on the album, third single that's called an innocent man.
0: Some people stay far away from the door. If
2: there's a chance of it opening up, May hear a voice in the hall outside And hope that it just passes by This is a powerful song. I enjoy this one. It's not my favorite on the album, but he really, vocally, he's really getting after it.
0: This is my favorite song on the album. Is it? it is one hundred it? This one is an homage to Benny King, both solo and when he was with the Drifters. To me, especially at the beginning sounds, it's very Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. But when he kicks into that chorus, Dude, I'm like, yeah, this is definitely my number
1: one on the album. Yeah, if you want to pull a couple other songs that really, really kind of, you can tell, influence this one. uh, Benny King's Stand By Me, The Drifters, Save The Last Dance For Me. It's got a little hint of maybe a little bit of Righteous Brothers in it. Um, It kind of calls back a little bit to Until The Night. of his other previous songs it's got some similar sounds to that but he has said that this song was inspired by his own setbacks like all the stuff that he dealt with early on and that you, you really can you really can make a change i'm only willing to hear you cry because i am an innocent man This is probably my second favorite on the album, but yeah, just... Absolutely love this song. And and from what I recall, this is one of the first ones to get played pretty regularly on MTV, the video. And uh, that, I, I'm sure, also helped boost his reputation and, and get him in front of people. I mean, people who didn't already know who he was. Get him in on on MTV was just broadening his audience.
2: He said when he was recording this that he had a feeling this would be the last time he'd be able to hit that really high note. <laughs> but, uh, man, he nails it
1: on this song. Well, you know, you can only hit the high notes when you play for Christy Lee. <laughs>
2: Yes, this song reached number ten on the Hot 100. Third single, number one on the Adult Contemporary chart.
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Like some of the some of the connections to like who inspired these songs. I until I started digging into a couple of them, like some of them are obvious, but then a couple I was like, God, how did I not know that? Yeah. As as we get a little bit further on into the album, like there's one song in particular that I there's there's an artist from the 50s and 60s that I absolutely love, and I was like, of course he sounds like him. Huh. Like, how did I not make that connection? It was it was driving me nuts. As soon as I was reading up some stuff on it, I was like, "All right, well now I feel dumb."
2: Okay, you got to tell us that story when we get there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so ask Caleb. Caleb is a Billy Joel fan. Okay, and so he came in because we have stuff in here that he needed to go to sleep, and so I'm like, "Oh, hey, dude, what's your favorite Billy Joel song?" And he's like, "Okay, Piano Man, Innocent Man, or River of Dreams." He goes, "Piano Man, no. Innocent Man, no." river i don't know dad i'm like it's okay you got you got (laughs) one song on this album that we're talking about so i'm going to go with that so caleb's favorite on this album at least is innocent man as well okay great all right third song on the album that song is
2: called "The the longest time
0: So this is a doo-wop of doo baby. This one is an homage to Frankie Lyman of The Teenagers.
1: If you don't know that name, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? If you play the beginning of uh, The Longest Time, even just like the first 10 seconds, and then play the first 10 seconds of Why Do Fools Fall in Love. You'll be sitting there going well good lord of course they're <laughs> of course they're influenced by it
2: so he talks about how he was method singing on this right mm-hmm. so he would pretend to be sort of these characters he does all the vocals all the backing vocals he does all the snapping Dino. thing instrument wise on this is there's a bass and somebody hitting a snare with the brushes
0: i don't even know if that's right i don't know if there's a real bass or if it's just a bass somebody humming the bass notes and it could be billy joel humming the bass notes i mean he was supposed to just have the lead part and have a vocal group come help him but phil ramone the producer's like let's just have you do all of the parts and you can definitely hear his varying voices throughout. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: This is a great one. If you've got family and you want to sing this all together, it it hits all the different people's ranges. Like my, my kids, my wife will be in the car. This song comes on. I let the rest of them take the high notes and I'm usually the person sitting in the, uh, sitting in the driver's seat or, or sitting somewhere else in the car going for the longest. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm just picking up that part. Typically the other fun one about this one. And, and, um, I think I've mentioned this a couple times. There was a, I think it's called Extraordinary. There was a series that was on CNN Plus in 2022. And the interviewer was, his name was, I think Fareed Zakaria. And he did an interview with Billy Joel um, as part of his Extraordinary People series. But there's a really cool part in there. They reference both this song, For the Longest Time, and Uptown Girl. And it's awesome because you watch, Billy Joel in the interview is sitting at the piano and he's explaining how he believes some of his best songs have a very classical music base to them. And, he's, and he, he just like matter-of-factly says, well, like Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl has a, a, has a Mozart base to it. And I'm sitting there like, wait, what? Uh, what and, now? And you, yeah, and you see him in the video. He's, he's like, let me play it for you. He starts to play just, the, just the, a very simple melody of Uptown Girl and it sounds exactly like something Mozart would have written. And he's like, yeah, and we'll just, we'll add this other little part over here. And he starts playing the whole thing on the piano. And I'm sitting there going, holy crap. Wow. <laughs> Uptown girl is Mozart. And then he plays, he does this and he's like, yeah, for the longest time, same thing. And he starts playing it and it sounds, I think that one is maybe a little bit more of a of a, of a Haydn, maybe a little bit of a Mozart, but he always talks about how he's so influenced by classical composers and, and uh, Beethoven is always his favorite, but there is so much when you, if you take out the rest of the, audio and just listen to him, you know, play the, the simple little melody on the piano of this. It completely sounds like something Mozart would have written.
2: Beethoven gets a writing credit here in just a minute. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Incredible. I love this song. This song was released March of 1984 reached number 14 on the hot 100 number one in the adult contemporary. And this was one of the songs on the album that I wore out all the time.
1: Yeah. Love it. Th- this is actually my favorite song on the album.
2: Man, we still haven't got to my favorite song. How about right. that? we got three different ones. All right, moving on to the next song in the album. This song is called This Night.
0: <laughs> didn't I say she I wasn't ready for romance? She didn't we promise we would only be friends?
2: And so we danced, though it was only a slow. Started
0: breaking my promises right there and there. Okay, Jason, I'm going to play this for you back to back. I'm going to try to play this for you back to back so that hopefully you can hear it.
1: There was a kid at uh, my daughter plays piano and we were at one of her piano recitals and there was a kid that was going to play piano sonata number eight. And and of course, when the whole thing is over, I I turned to my family and I said, you know what? Any kid that plays Billy Joel at the piano recitals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, John, I was I was. Talking to Jason over the week, and I'm like, are you familiar with this Beethoven song? Because my dad used to play this on the piano all the time, loved this Beethoven song. And when I listened to this night, this was another one of those Undiscovered Gems for me. When he hits the chorus at about 58 seconds into the song, I'm like, I know this tune. I know that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is Beethoven. And sure enough, I looked it up. Not only does he homage to Beethoven along with the doo wopping, but he also gives him writing credit. He gives him writing credit. No other band member, like his drummer Billy Joel's drummer, had to sue him to get some royalties for some of the stuff that he's done. <laughs> Nobody else gets credit on this album except Billy Joel and L. V. Beethoven.
1: And my my discovery of this was backwards. Like I was listening to some Beethoven music. At one point and i was like wow he covered billy joel that's really cool
2: <laughs> how do you do that that's, that's, that's
1: awesome a, it's a whole time travel thing well and and billy joel he he has said before beethoven is probably his favorite classical composer because he looks at some of the others like he he's made a comparison he's like yeah, mozart it's kind of like mozart showed up fully formed like everything is is perfect and every note is in its right place and and, and mozart You know, basically, like if you've seen the movie Amadeus, I think uh, Salieri makes a comment at one point and and he's like, it's as if he's just dictating the music. It's like there's no scribbles. There's no, you know, nothing is scratched off. It's just perfect as it's getting written down on the paper. And Billy Joel said that he actually owned a piece of uh, an actual piece of Beethoven's music and that you take a look at it and there's whole sections that are just scratched off. Like he got almost as if he got angry with with the, the terrible parts he had written and just scratched them off. And he's like, that's why I love Beethoven. He said to me, Beethoven is the most human of composers because he's angry. He's got passion. He's got frustration. He's he's like to me, I can I can relate to him so much more than I can. Not that I don't love Mozart, but I can relate to him because he's just like me. You know, this
2: song lyrically is about L McPherson and his relationship with her. She was 19 when they were dating at the time.
0: And he would have been 30... 34?
2: 30, Four. 33 yeah, 34 or something 34, so yeah. like that. So here's the idea, right? Elmer McPherson's like, okay, I like you. Let's keep it light. Let's not get too serious. And he's like, right, <laughs> right. Sounds good. And what happens? He falls madly in love with her, right? Uh-huh. And he's like, as soon as he gets around her, all those rules go out the window. So that's
0: what lyrically this song is about. This was actually the seventh single
2: this album had seven singles out of 10 songs
0: this album is almost got a batting average almost as good as can't Slow down it's in crow right so she says let's just have fun let's just let's just have some fun no reason to get serious <laughs> yeah and he gets too serious so she breaks up with him and his rebound girlfriend is <laughs>
1: christy brinkley <laughs> my story it's, a, it's it's a good gig if you can get it you know oh
2: my gosh i've got a story there's a blow your socks off we're gonna to get to it here in a couple of socks.
0: okay so interestingly this one as much as i like it this just in the u.s only got released as the b-side of leave a tender moment alone yep crazy reach number 78 on the hot 100
1: this is such a great song between the beethoven music and it just i mean some of the the lyrics too is just there are some Some of my favorite Billy Joel lines are here. And so we danced, though it was only a slow dance. I started breaking my promises right there and then. He will talk about how he's much more interested in the music than he is the lyrics. But in terms of being a a songwriter, there's there's very few times I don't think uh, he doesn't knock it out of the park. He is one of my favorite lyricists of all times. He paints such
0: a picture. I mean, you know all of the people at the piano bar. You know the guys who are breaking their back, polishing their tires on moving out. You know, all like he has these images of these folks and he conveys it in such a perfect way through his lyrics. Definitely one of my favorites. The image that he always portrays for
2: me that stands out yeah. is the microphone that smells like a beer. There you go. Every time he describes, I'm like, yep, I'm with you. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Okay, can we get to my favorite song on the Oh, album? so here we
2: are, all right. Let's get to my favorite song on the album. It's the first single released. This song is called Tell Her About It. Listen, boy, I don't want to see you let a good thing slip away. You know I don't like watching anybody make the same mistakes i made. She's a real nice girl and she's always there for you.
0: So this song is obviously an homage to the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers? I see when, they, when those horns blast in at the beginning, I am definitely thinking Jake and Elwood Blues, baby. <laughs> how can you not tap your toes when you're listening to this song? It's a great it's song. A, it's,
2: it's such a snappy, upbeat, feel-good toe-tapper. I, I crank it up every time.
0: Yeah, so this one actually is an homage to The Supremes and The Temptations right there in the heart of Motown, baby.
2: Yeah, he talked about every time the Supreme sang a song, they were always giving some sort of advice.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's a good
2: point. Like, with they're that. always Perfect. giving advice. And so he's like, I want to be Diana Ross.
1: Play this. If you, if you want to create like a, I don't know, like a dear Abby playlist, play this one back to back with, you can't hurry. Love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Lyrically and stylistically, I, the two are the two are just they're they're like cousins. Spot on for
0: sure. This was released July seventeenth,
2: nineteen eighty-three. This is the lead single. It reached number one in September of nineteen eighty-three. Knocking out Maniac by Michael Cimbello. Oh,
0: flash, flash dance. dance. Yep. Yeah.
2: Okay. Can we talk about the video for a second?
0: Let's talk about the video.
2: Okay. So it's a old school style. They've got an Ed, guy looks just like Ed Sullivan. And he's like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. William Joel. <laughs> Billy Joel is like, listen, I'm not photogenic. I know I'm not a great looking guy. He goes, so when I did the videos, I was just pretending like I was Elvis. I didn't look like Elvis, but I pretended like I was Elvis. And that came off reasonably well. And then at the end of the video, you have, of course, Mr. Rodney Dangerfield repaying the favor of Billy Joel writing the song Easy Money for his movie. And he's in the video and the Ed Sullivan guy's like, and now the talented, the amazing, Ponzi the Bear, whatever. (laughs) uh, No respect for Rodney Dangerfield. (laughs)
0: That's hysterical.
2: All right. So I got a great story for you on the, on the video for Tell Her About It. Yeah. So it was directed by a guy named Jay Dubin. And Jay, when he set off, he never intended to do music videos. They were asking him about it. Well, how would you get involved in music videos? You don't even really have a film background. He's like, I don't like music. Why would anybody call me? I don't even like music. I'd never listen to the radio. Not a music guy. Well, listen to this. This is how he got involved. He needed money. And so he started doing the Crazy Eddie Electronics commercials in New York City.
1: Crazy Eddie's greatest TV and video sale ever. Get anything and everything in TV and video. Crazy at his greatest TV and video sale ever. It's going to be insane.
2: So he gets a call out of the blue from John Lennon. John Lennon sees these commercials and asks him, will you do my music video for Double Fantasy? And that's how he gets involved in making music videos. John Lennon calls him out of the freaking blue.
0: No, who is this real?
2: <laughs> so he ends up doing, listen to this, he does. Private Eyes by Hollow Notes. Uh-huh. He does. I can't go for that. Yeah. You make my dreams come true, and then of course tell her about it. An Uptown Girl.
0: So tell her about it. Also had a co-director. Would you like to guess who the co-director was? Christy Brinkley. Close. <laughs> it was John Small. Oh yeah. So the guy whose wife Billy Joel stole directed this video with the guy who hates music. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what? I know. How about
1: that? That's crazy. Well, there's a few times during his life that he had a bit of a falling out with some folks, and thankfully it sounds like they've reconciled like um, said, Liberty DeVito, uh, his drummer, like they had a long falling out for a while, and one of the saxophonists that he worked with, they had a falling out for a while, but it kind of seems like that's a running theme of Billy Joel's career is all right so we get angry at each other we fight for a bit and i don't know maybe 20 years later we're okay
2: yeah even christy brinkley they're divorced and they're still tight you know
1: yeah what are the other i I love the uh his band name in the uh music video is bj and the affordables (laughs) (laughs) this is great it's a lot of fun a whole lot of fun takes me back This song has not been performed live since 1987.
2: Yeah, this blows me away. How in the world is a number one song not
1: played live? I mean, I don't get it. So uh, according to Billy Joel, uh, from from what I've heard, is that there's a couple of different reasons. Partly, he feels like he can't hit the falsetto notes anymore, (laughs) which... Okay, I I get that. But then the other part of it, too, is he kind of commented, like, when the song was released on the album, he thought, great fit. Like, it sounds great on the album. The video, I don't know that he was as happy with the video and how it all came off. You know, seeing himself perform this on a video, I don't think he was quite as happy with that. And he would perform it on stage when, obviously, when these albums came out, when they were doing the tours for Innocent Man and The Bridge. He just felt like it didn't work on stage. He's like, live on stage, this song doesn't work as well. It's meant to be... with within the context of an album. That's how you should listen to it. I'm not doing this one anymore. So he stopped it after 1987. He stopped performing this one live.
2: You know, I did hear him talk about his songs. He said, my songs are like children. Some of them grow up and they're doctors and they're lawyers and they're teachers. And some of them are just kind of bums. This might be in that category where he just doesn't hold it as high as he does other songs, you know, so.
1: And and some are Captain Jack that he demotes to private.
2: All right, hit stop on your tape deck. kick it out, flip it over for side Two. And we started off with one of the biggest songs on the album. This song is called Uptown Girl.
0: Okay, for that first drum beat coming out, I mean, it's like the beginning of Thriller. I mean, you know the song is going to be great as soon as you hear those first three beats.
2: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. What a great song this is.
1: Yeah. This is one of the other ones that he, if you listen to that interview with him, he, he plays it as a kind of a classical Mozart bass. And then he just kind of builds on it from there. And you're like, good Lord, that's so amazing <laughs> that you strip away everything else, strip away the lyrics, strip away the vocal, strip away the, all the other pieces. And it sounds so much like a Mozart song, but, uh, it's it, homage to the four seasons, you know, and, a, and he wanted to do this as kind of a recording of, you know, Frankie Valley in the four seasons in the sixties. And if there, if you want to pair this with another song, which they kind of, you know, they start off and they sound really similar, is play this next to Big Girls Don't Cry.
0: Yeah, I was thinking Walk Like a Man to me. Yeah. I got a lot of Walk Like a Man out of this one, but still Frankie Valley. This is a great one. I got to say, back in the mid-80s, though, I got overwhelmed by this one. It was on so much. The video was on so much that I was like, okay, you've killed it for me, guys. You've overdone it. Now, I've grown to love it again. It's been long enough. I still enjoy it, but they beat me over the head with it. So this song is written
2: about Elle McPherson and Christy Brakely, the Uptown Girls. It was plural. He started off writing it about Elle McPherson and then switched gears.
0: When she broke up with him?
2: When they broke up. (laughs) And, uh, And Christy entered the picture. And of course Christy's in the video. So she's Clearly, the uptown girl now. So the video is, you know, a car mechanic Billy Joel running around with his buddy mechanics. It's
0: very grease. It's very grease. It is very grease.
2: Here's the funny part: is that the choreographer for the Beat It video was working with Billy Joel and Christy Brakely, neither of whom can dance at all. Oh yeah. And he's like, "All right, guys, listen, just one, two kick, one, two kick," and they can barely do it.
0: Right. I kind of remember this guy talking. Now that you say this, you're bringing back a memory from literally 30 years ago i can remember seeing that guy going man i don't even understand how this guy walks without falling over
2: (laughs) yes and she's no better right right
0: Yeah, she's not a dancer
2: they talked about how they shot this video in new york city it was like the hottest day of the year it was like 110 degrees yeah christy brink was in high heels yeah she said it was so hot every time she took a step her her heels sank in the asphalt <laughs> and Billy Joel said across the street, there's like 500 people watching them film this video and Christy Brinkley's dancing and they're running around. And he said about every 10 minutes, some MOOC would yell,
0: show us your tits.
2: No. Oh no. So there you go, New York City. Some MOOC. Some MOOC. Okay, I've got I've got something for you on this, okay? And I don't know the whole story. Okay. But apparently, Princess Diana in 1985 wanted to surprise Prince Charles by appearing on stage of the Royal Ballet, and she danced a choreographed dance to Uptown Girl. Oh, my. This is Princess Diana. Yeah. There's no video of this. Apparently, he didn't like it. Okay. But she was doing it to impress him. Or, you know, tantalize him or something. Uh And uh, it's actually portrayed in the Netflix series, The Crown, in the episode Avalanche. And you can actually watch this.
1: Yeah, have you seen it, John? Yeah, yeah, we watched we watched The Crown. Yeah, it's <laughs> and it's it's such a funny story because it's Prince Charles. I, I think is so much. Well, now King Charles. I think it probably would have just thrown him off that he's like, well, excuse me, I, I'm I'm trying to enjoy an evening at the ballet, <laughs> and, and I don't don't know why you're bringing in rock and roll. I, I feel like that that would have been his response to it, and and she's probably thinking, of course, you know, she's young and she's full of life, and she's like. I'm going to do this and maybe this will make my husband happy and, and maybe we'll, you know, maybe this will kind of help our relationship a bit. And and I can just picture him knowing a little bit of what I do about his personality just over the years, reading different things and, and, uh, you know, seeing videos and, and documentaries with him and I'm, I'm thinking he probably was just looking at going, I guess the evening's over now, the ballet is done and, uh, all right, it's time to go home now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dude, lighten up a bit.
2: Love this song. Love the video. This
1: is definitely deep, deep 80s for me. This is perfect karaoke material too. Yeah. Like this is, I, the high notes are tough to hit, but when I was teaching at one of our middle schools and I was a, still a teacher in the building, we would have these nights, a couple of nights a year, and we would have all kinds of games for the kid. They could come in after school and, and we'd have games for the kids and like obstacle courses and pizza and and music and all kinds of other stuff and one of the stations we always had in in one of the rooms one of the classrooms was we had a karaoke machine and uh this karaoke actually i think it was a playstation we had set up and it had the sing star game where you could sing karaoke and uptown girl was on the sing star 80s version of it and i don't know how this ever enticed any kids to come to this thing, the day before, like at the end of the school day, we would have a big assembly with all the kids in there. And actually, I think it was Pat Canigallo, who's on the 30-something podcast with me. I think we might've sang Uptown Girl. And as we were singing Uptown Girl, nobody ever needs to hear me sing Uptown Girl, but as we were singing Uptown Girl in front of a gymnasium full of, what would have been like 600 middle school kids, we had cranked the volume up so high, and I think we were singing it so loud, we blew out the speakers in the gym. Oh. (laughs) And so the gym teachers were mad at us. The facilities folks were mad at us, and we're like, okay, that's um, yeah, if you guys want to, if you guys want to sing it, uh, come back tonight. And we'll we'll do some more singing. But um, sorry, sorry, we didn't, uh, we didn't need to do that.
0: Tip your waitress.
1: <laughs> but uh, Uptown Girl, great karaoke song.
0: Yeah, this one you talked about how it did in the U.S. This is his only number one hit in the UK. Only one. And it knocked off a song from an album that you are a big fan of. Also, a UK band knocked it off of the number one position, November 1983. So you like to guess what that is? Uh, how about uh, "Hunger Like the Wolf"? No, it is "Karma Chameleon" by The Culture Club. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next song on the album.
2: This song is called "Careless Talk." Oh! what you heard
0: about me okay boys this one is an homage to the king of soul himself mr sam cook and i don't know which song you guys think of when you think of sam cook but for me it's twisting the night away and i can definitely hear it on this song
1: yeah this one i think the one i and this is the one i was talking about earlier that i i love sam cook Like my, some of my when, when you go back to like the 1950s and, and 60s, 1950s in particular, Sam Cooke, Nat King Cole, I love those. In fact, I, I got picked on in high school because I was like, Some of my friends on the football team, they're like, So, like, what'd you guys get for Christmas? Like, we're coming back and we're in the weight room after Christmas break, and like, what'd you get for Christmas? I was like, Guys, I got a four disc set of Nat King Cole's greatest hits. <laughs>
0: They're like, John, you're so cool. Can we hang out with you every day?
1: (laughs) They're like, Nat King, what? It was like, "Uh, is that a rapper? "Mm, No. Lesson to all you kids out there. Maybe don't mention that in the locker room. (laughs) Places where it's okay to mention that. Maybe not the locker room. But I, I love Sam Cooke. Like, he is on regular rotation for me now. I, the songs I think about with that one, actually the one that I paired with this one on my playlist was I did the song You Send Me. But yeah, this is the one I was I was mentioned earlier that I was just, I was shocked. I was like, why did I not figure out? Of course he sounds like Sam Cooke. I love Sam Cooke. I listen to Sam Cooke all the time. How did I not connect Careless Talk with Sam Cooke? And it just, it blew my mind when I realized, you are so dumb. Why don't you like pay attention sometimes? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I went down the rabbit hole of Sam Cooke in the research for this one, and boy, interesting death he had at 33 years old. I'm not going to go into that story because we don't have enough time for that, but wow, that's that's a strange set of circumstances there. I'm teasing you with it. Someday we'll talk about Sam Cooke's death, but it's not going to be today. Okay. This is the weakest song on the
2: whole album for me. Okay. This is my least favorite song. Uh, it's just kind of there. It's not a bad song. It's just kind of there, you know? It's not a skipper. Just kind of waiting for the next one.
0: All right. Are we done with this one? Are you ready for the next one? Yes. All right, then. The next one is song number eight, Christy Lee. Let me tell- So if you don't hear Jerry Lee Lewis or Little Richard on this one, you are missing the boat, my friend. All right. Listen, this is this is what this song reminds me of. Okay. Yeah.
2: Have you ever seen Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. And they they get Wayne Brady and they're like, we'll grab somebody out of the crowd. What's your name, honey? Uh, Christy Lee. All right. You're going to sing to Christy Lee in the style of Jerry Lee Lewis. Ready, set, go. Boom. This sounds like he just made it up on the spot singing about his girlfriend, Christy Lee. Maybe he did. <laughs> I know he said it poured out of him, but uh, this sounds like an improv song. John, what do you think?
1: This one is, I mean, it's its absolutely Little Richard, Fats Domino, Jerry Lee Lewis. In fact, if there's if there's a song you wanted to pair this one with, I would say listen to this one, and, and they almost just sound like clones of each other. Listen to this one next to Little Richard's Long Tall Sally. Go to tell- it is almost like i mean especially as it starts off it is almost like a clone of this song billy joel i want to say covered great balls of fire at a at a concert in 81 and sounded a lot like christy lee this is the one where i found the my lives album which is like the remixes and the demos and the and actually listening to it both my wife and i agreed we think we like the demo like the unreleased demo version better than the album version of christy lee his vocals are clearer and the piano is much clearer i mean this one's fun because it's it's fun it's it's a piano rock song but i feel like you you just hear the most important parts his voice and the piano you hear just a little bit cleaner in the demo version of it so if you get a chance to go find that one definitely listen to that but um it's kind of a fun song especially if you like trying to figure out um you know lyrics that maybe don't mean what you think they mean or maybe when uh i don't know when a song called lakeshore drive really isn't about the road that's in chicago maybe it is or, or maybe it's about lsd um in this song maybe a saxophone is just a saxophone it's probably not <laughs> um, you know or when, when you're shocked as a teenager to realize exactly what the song the zz top song i got the six is about you know it's it's one of those songs it, it can be an eye-opening song when you learn what the lyrics are about
0: after the words the zz top song you literally could have said any the ZZ <laughs> well, Top, I, yes <laughs> any ZZ top song and it would have been like oh yeah yeah that's what that Pearl necklace. Right. Yes. It, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got
2: to tell you about the greatest 24 hours in the 1980s. Okay. okay?
0: Yeah.
2: We talked about this on our Lionel Richie episode that Lionel Richie may have had the greatest 24 hours in the 1980s. He hosted the AMAs, won six awards, and then afterwards, as a post AMA party, they recorded We Are the World and fed millions of people from the proceeds of that song. Yeah. That's a pretty freaking great 24 hours. Sure. Okay. Now then, let's pair it versus this 24-hour period, okay? Mm -hmm. Billy Joel is dating Elle McPherson on and off, okay? She goes back to Australia, and now he's got his sights set on Christy Lee Brigley. She had been seeing a guy. He was killed in an accident, and he is there as a friend. and
0: Race car driver, right? yeah, Yeah, yeah.
2: Starts to kind of move in for the kill. He invites her back to his apartment. Christy Brinkley has agreed to go back to his apartment, and inside he's jumping for joy. This is the night, right? This night. This night. This night. Yes. With Christy Lee. Yeah. They get back to his apartment, and when he opens the door, there's Elle McPherson with her luggage, and she's crashing at his apartment. Oh. This man had... L. McPherson and Christy Brinkley on the hook at the exact same moment. We share oxygen with this person. But there's a real person out there who was able to pull this off.
0: And let's not forget that Billy Joel looks like Billy Joel. <laughs> exactly. He does not look like Chris Hemsworth. He looks like Billy Joel. He was like, if the guys back at Hicksville could have seen me. I tried to I think I mentioned this. I was talking to my wife about this. I'm like, I mean, there's just no way that this makes any sense except that he's a rock star. And she's like, Oh no, he's kind of cute sometimes. I'm like, he doesn't sing and he doesn't play the piano. What do you think Mm -hmm. now? She's like, Oh no, he's a toad. I'm like, exactly.
1: That's right. Exactly. And I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys know that there was there was actually a poem that was written a, a very long time ago and It actually prophesies this moment. Um, Are you guys familiar with Robert Frost? The last stanza of one of his most famous poems, I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two blondes diverged in an apartment (laughs) building and I. It it, it didn't matter which one, and that has made all the difference.
2: (laughs) That's hilarious.
1: Very nice.
2: So the rest of the story is, Christy Brinkley excused herself, politely left, and Elle McPherson was just there to crash. So I don't think he quote unquote, closed the deal with either of them that night. And he said, still, I couldn't help thinking Frank Sinatra would have somehow made a threesome of that night. And instead, swing and a miss, swing and a miss.
0: That's the reason he's the chairman of the board.
1: <laughs> Frank, Frank does it his way.
0: Still,
2: that's a pretty impressive 24-hour period to have those women both at your apartment at the same
0: time. So you're saying that Christy Brinkley left a tender moment alone?
2: She left a tender moment alone. Let's move on to that song.
0: All right, number nine on the album, second to the last song, we have Leave a Tender Moment Alone. Okay, guys, the beautiful blues harp that you hear on this particular song is by Mister Toots Thielemans. Our man Toots Thielemans. That part to me is very "Raindrops Falling on My Head." I can see that. Uh, that that I mean, it hits me that way every single time. Now, this song is an homage to Smokey Robinson, so I can kind of hear that too. But I'm definitely thinking. Raindrops falling
1: on my head. Yeah, I think I paired this one on my playlist with Being With You by Smokey Robinson. As I was writing down my list of, of how I would rank the songs in this album, it ended up, and this almost started an argument in our house, this one actually ended up last on the list for me. But I had to clarify that and say, okay, hold, hold on now. This is last on the list for the entire Innocent Man album, that doesn't mean anything. Like last on my list for this album is like still at the top of almost all Billy Joel songs. You know, this, like you were saying earlier to have seven of these songs, seven out of 10, you know, reach the heights that they did. But it's just, it's, it's such a beautiful song and, and the lyrics are so good.
2: I love this one. This reached number 27 on the Hot 100, number one on the adult contemporary. Is this a country song?
1: It, it feels like it a bit. I think there's moments where it kind of feels, it's got a little little tiny bit of a a country sound to it, I think well, I mean,
0: the song that I'm relating it to came from a cowboy movie, so you got that going for it, yeah. I, guess, I guess. there you go.
2: This was the fifth single. This got radio play. I, I remember this song very well being making the rounds, you know. For sure.
1: I love it. And what, I mean, what person hasn't been in the situation, you know, you, you go with, I want to say it's like the second, maybe the second stanza in the song. I know the moment isn't right to tell the girl a comical line, to keep the conversation light. I guess I'm just frightened out of my mind. You know, like we said, this whole album is him going through that dating phase, you know, after his divorce and, and this whole dating, feeling like a kid again. And I'm like, this song kind of takes you back to that whole feeling of like, OK, I don't want to screw this up. Just don't let me screw this up. Let me say the right thing. Let me at the right time. Let me, yeah. Yeah.
2: And even better than saying something to screw it up. Just don't say anything at all. Leave a tender moment alone.
1: Leave it alone. A lot of really good advice in this album. Right. Diana Ross. Yeah. yeah. Tell her about it. But sometimes shut up. <laughs>
2: That's right. That's good. All right, let's move on to the last song on the album. This song is called Keeping the Fate. If it seems like I've been lost and let's remember If you think I'm feeling all around missing my younger days
0: Oh, then you should have known me much better
2: Okay, so this is a super catchy song. It was on the radio all the time. But for me, the most interesting thing to talk about here is the music video.
0: Richard Pryor, Christy Brinkley again, and Joe, Joe Piscopo. Piscopo.
2: Actually, there's also another guy I want to mention. His name's Richard Scholl. Yeah. From the movie Splash, he plays Dr. Ross. Okay. He's the guy who tells Eugene Levy's character, why don't you run along and find a unicorn? <laughs>
0: He plays the judge in this video he, on the album cover as well. The single.
2: Oh, yeah. Run along now, Walter, and see if you can't find a unicorn.
0: Yeah, just him and Billy Joel, but he's still the judge in that one.
2: Nice. But this is great. Like Billy Joel's on trial. Is he or is he not keeping the faith? You know, Judge, they say justice is blind. A show, but ain't deaf. Puts a big coin in the jukebox and starts to play this song and sing it for the judge. John, what do you think?
1: This one's very specific. It's an homage to a, a particular song. Betty Wright's Clean Up Woman. <laughs> little bit of a british rock sound to it but if you play that song betty writes clean up woman i mean the start the kind of beat you get at the start of this one and at the start of that song mirror images of each other yeah totally yeah definitely but the other really kind of cool thing about this one is i almost like in my in my mind in my head canon i i treat this one as a little bit of kind of a personal prequel to we didn't start the fire you know I, let's let's make a, a superhero analogy you've got your iron man your thor your captain america they're gonna go off and they're gonna handle stuff like Thanos, like they're gonna handle your your galaxy threatening uh, uh, villains. And then you've got Spider-Man and Spider-Man is usually like your street level hero. You've got your Spider-Man, your Daredevil. They're handling stuff on the streets. They're not fighting aliens. I see this one as keeping the faith is kind of like the very personal, let me walk you through my childhood my teenage years let me kind of give you the the timeline of what it was like to grow up billy joel then if you take this one and you play we didn't start the fire next it's almost like you're zooming out onto like a a global layer at that point and you're saying like okay this is what it like it was like personally to be billy joel but here's like what the rest of the world was going through while I was also growing up and and, and through all these years. So I kind of sometimes will treat this one as if it's like a prequel to We Didn't Start the Fire.
2: Love that. Nice. That's that's really cool. That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah. By the way, the red-haired girl in the back of a Chevrolet is a real person. So in the video, she's played by Christy Breakley and her hair is like spray painted red. It looks terrible. <laughs> but this was when he, he first started playing live. He was playing and he locked eyes with this beautiful redhead and he started to realize the power of rock and roll well they ended up dating and uh, more than dating he made it with that girl in the back of a chevrolet and when she went to break up with him to go to college he's like you can't break up with me we've had sex and she's like <laughs> so what that's when he realized he falls super easy for women yeah he just can't help himself when he's with a woman he falls head over heels and that's why a lot of his songs are just wimpy love songs he loves women
0: all I can think of is Matthew McConaughey and Daisy confused. I love those redheads. <laughs> love those redheads, man. By the way, that
2: girl's name was Patty Lee Bridge.
1: He's he's a little bit like uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. He's uh, he's uh, always looking for the future ex, Mrs. Joel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that completes the album, "An Innocent Man." Now we have to
1: do—oh my gosh—we gotta do final
2: judgment. Final judgment time, John. Are you able to do final judgment with us, Lionel Richie versus
1: Billy Joel?
0: I mean, do we even need to ask?
1: You don't need to ask. (laughs) My final judgment will be—and—and nothing against him at all—but my final judgment is Lionel. Who? (laughs) Okay, D.
0: Okay. So, um, as I mentioned, Billy Joel was a huge part of my childhood growing up. I mean, I literally have a music book of his downstairs that I have learned to play songs of his. Huge, huge factor. However... Can't Slow Down songs are so good. And every single song is so good on that album. Even though I love a lot of the songs on Innocent Man, of all of Billy Joel's songs, unlike John here, Innocent Man is on the lower side of my favorite Billy Joel songs. I like a lot of them, but they're not my favorite Billy Joel songs. For the complete catalog, it is Mr. Joel every day, all day, no question about it. But album to album, which is what we're talking about here. Innocent Man to Can't Slow Down, Can't Slow Down, was too much of a powerhouse. Wow. Too much of a big hitter for me in that time. I'm given the nod to Can't Slow Down, Lionel Ritchie, which means you got to be the tiebreaker, my friend. All right.
2: So John voted Innocent Man. You voted Can't Slow Down. I loved both. I grew up with both. These were both owned by my parents. They spun them all the time. It was just something I was around. But for me, the songs on An Innocent Man are a little more rock and roll and a little less country. (laughs) So I'm going to cast my vote with the wonderful seven singles out of ten Billy Joel album, An Innocent Man, Spike the Football, An Innocent Man, although I still love
0: Can't Slow Down. Yeah. Well, I can't fault you guys. I love The Piano Man, but yeah. Guys, Shirley fans, tell us what you think is Jason right? Is John right? Are they right? Or am I right? (laughs) Hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Facebook. Heck, man, we probably have your text at this point. So, you know, send us an email if you're not on our text list so far, and we'll we'll start adding you to the group chat. Guys, be sure and hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, and please tell your friends uh, if you could leave a rating for us, hopefully a five-star rating and a review that helps us get in front of other people who might enjoy hearing all about the awesome movies and music of the 80s, 90s, and beyond. John, thank you so much for coming and joining us on this adventure again. I can't wait till we start doing podcasts full of kryptonite again. Tell us what's coming up for the 30-something movies podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, the next few months or so are just, there's so much fun. We're in 93 right now, since it's 2023 at the time of this recording. We're in 93. uh, We've just got... Done doing cliffhanger Groundhog Day. Uh, we've got Falling Down and Fugitive in the month of March, and then um, you know coming up in April, Sleepless in Seattle, Gettysburg. The one I'm really looking forward to, though, I've been waiting for a while to, to talk about this one. Coming up in May, we're doing Demolition Man. I have such an unreasonable love of this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. When we started, when we started the podcast, and I asked our co-host Pat, I'm like, "It's it's 2015, Pat. What movie are you looking forward to?" batman pat we're doing that one in four years i know and like there have been moments where i was like what am i looking forward to as we're doing this show rocketeer all right rocketeer is coming in 91 so i got a little bit of time to wait what was the next one after that i'm like demolition man all right that's two years away well we're there so that's probably the one i'm looking most forward to is is getting a demolition man in may
2: john thanks so much for being with us man we appreciate you we enjoy you and you've been a mentor for us so thank you so much
1: yeah, and we as as I think I, we might have been off mic when we were talking about it, but uh, you guys got many, many shout outs in our Groundhog Day episode. We were basically saying uh, we're doing a, uh, a quick flyby of Groundhog Day, but if you want to hear in-depth stuff, you got to go over and listen to the Shirley podcast guys because uh, that and, uh, and I was like, hmm, I got a really clever idea. I'm going to restart our show like three or four times just to kind of be funny. And then your show came out and I was like, God bless it. They already did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, man. We appreciate that. Uh, What do we got coming up next? Next week, we've got Raising Arizona versus The Big Lebowski. Oh, yay. I'm so excited about that.
1: That is, I, the only way I can respond to that in in, uh, in The Matrix, when you have the one uh, uh, female character, I'm, I'm blanking out on what her name was, but right before they unplug her, she just looks and goes, not like this, not like this. That's, oh, that is, that is cruel. That is just cruel to pit those against each other. You know, you've, you've got the dude abides versus what we're trying to say is we felt the institution no longer had anything to offer us. I don't know how you pick between those two.
2: I know, right? Big Lebowski is hitting its 25th anniversary. I know. Come back next week to hear that matchup and go over to 30-something and catch their stuff. And then also join us on Podcast Full of Kryptonite. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we're looking forward to that one coming back. I I think it's going to be a great season of Superman and Lois. I'm looking forward to it. I don't
0: want to go binge watch the last two seasons. Listen to our podcast and you'll be done. That's right. We will see you, John. We'll see you down the road. And everybody else,
2: we'll see you next week.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just him and Billy Joel, but he's still the judge in that one. Nice. You're a judge. I, I am. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs>